Welcome to Thanks for the Memories. You've got a friend in us. This is episode six, Splash, from 1984, <laughs> directed by Ron Howard. I don't think the exclamation mark's on, sorry to interrupt already, but I don't think it's on, IMDb. maybe it's on IMDb, I don't know. No. It's not? No. <laughs> but I love it. All right, sorry, introduce yourself. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and boy, do we have a doozy here. Not just because of that intro, but because this movie, my review on Letterboxd was basically, this is the most difficult movie I've had to rate in a while because so much of this movie is so icky, and then some of it is just so wonderful, Mm. and I don't know how to balance those two things in my head. But with us today, to try to make sense of this all, we have the co-host of the Wistful Thinking podcast and the spin-off podcast, Taking the Nation, the the globe by storm, what am I chewing? Uh, we have Cara Gale O'Regan. Hello, Cara. Hello. May I propose that instead of talking about this mostly garbage movie, we just talk about the lore the whole time. I am 100% down on the lore. Mike, have you seen the lore? Oh, I for sure have seen the lore. Yes. I only saw it last week for the first time, and I cannot believe it took me this long to see it. I never want to see anything else about mermaids that isn't exactly like that. It's amazing. I've seen, like, all the mermaid films. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know why, but, like, there was one from Hong Kong a few years ago that turned out to just be slapstick through. Oh, that's the one I told you about. I, I thought I might have known it from uh, Mike. Yeah, it's called The Mermaid, right? It's just called yeah, The Mermaid? that yeah. one's insane. Like, I'm, I don't know why I've always been interested in, in mer movies, but here we are. Well, no, I, I definitely have, too. I mean, I'm, I'm very much of the Little Mermaid generation. I think that's probably my favorite Disney film. Ariel's definitely my favorite Disney princess. So I've always been pretty into mermaids, but there's not, I mean, other than the lore and maybe some other foreign films or more obscure ones, there's like not really any actual good mermaid movies, which is a bummer. I was looking because I Googled mermaid movies just to see like if there was that that great one that I was forgetting. And no, there's not. No, I think this is the one, right? Like this is pretty much... When you say mermaid movie, oh, like Daryl Hannah and, yeah, Splash, Tom Hanks, John Candy, that one. But there was this really great Australian TV show that I watched on the internet a lot when I was in college called H2O Just Add Water. And that was about a trio of Australian mermaids who turn into mermaids when the moon is full. So maybe, actually, I don't really remember, but there was some sort of like lunar element to it. There's one to this movie as well. Maybe that's part of the lore. Not the lore, but the lore of, <laughs> of mermaids. Well, it does feel like, from everything I was reading on IMDb, that Daryl Hannah was like the perfect person to play this part because she grew up being obsessed with mermaids, that she swam with her legs together because she was she was in love with the Hans Christian Andersen uh, story, The Little Mermaid. Which is much darker than the Disney's version. Well, yeah, because all of his things are much darker than the stories that we know. Related to The Little Mermaid, but the one that everybody knows, Ariel was supposed to have blonde hair, and it was changed to red to not basically be just a ripoff of Madison in this movie. So, you know, this is, I guess, sort of the seminal mermaid film, if you will, and it sort of ties into the the history of mermaid films in a bunch of different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was a little bummed that for it being a mermaid film, there's not all that much mermaid like stuff happening under the sea and stuff. Like I remembered it to be much different. I mean, I haven't seen this in 20 years, you know, give or take. But like I, I had recalled there being a lot more underwater footage and stuff. And so upon rewatch, that was a big complaint of mine. I was like, oh, like there isn't a lot of that. Like where was all that? And I must have just made it up, filled in some of the blanks. Yeah, I was I was missing that too. I wanted more of that, but I was happy I don't know that seems like the wrong word but I thought that she didn't get to talk in the entire movie but she does talk 
eventually, like 40 minutes into it. So at least, you know, at some point she had some lines, which I wasn't expecting. She didn't even really show up for a really long time, too. I remember, like, it's pretty much Tom Hanks's movie, um, his character's movie. But yeah, I was surprised about that, too. I thought she, she had come into the film a lot earlier. Yeah, no, I actually wrote it down. She shows up 24 minutes in, and then she doesn't talk until 42 minutes. Which, in the grand scheme of things, I guess, what I'm about to say I know sounds bad, but isn't that bad, but also feels like an eternity in this movie. It does. This movie also feels like an eternity. It's far too long. My favorite stuff is, like, from when she learns to speak at the department store to basically when, like, that sort of first introduction to when they get home, I guess. You know, like, just that chunk felt really alive and, uh, it also felt like, though, it should have happened maybe 20 minutes ago also. but I think the big discussion that we need to have at some point tonight is about agency. Bodily autonomy, women's bodies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, yes. The big question I have before we really get going is, Mike, I'm sure you know, I was talking to Cara about this briefly, I think we might have even mentioned it on the last episode. There is talks, there were talks, I don't know if it's still happening, talks of rebooting this movie, making it again, remaking it, whatever, with a gender swap with Jillian Bell as the person and Channing Tatum as the mermaid, which of course is music to my ears as the host of the, one of the hosts of the Magic Mike's podcast, the Channing Tatum podcast here on the network. I was talking to Cara briefly, and like, if you gender swap this, it might be even worse. Like, if he just comes up and just starts, like, macking on Jillian Bell, it's just like, well, like, dude, like, I feel like you might be able to tell that story in the Me Too era be like, well, that's not how we do things, but also, I don't know. What's weird is, like, I listened to some of the audio commentary, and the producer, Brian Grazer, who's, like, credited with coming up with the story, imagined what his life would be like as a mer person, like, if it was a male, you know, like, that's the genesis of this idea, which then, you know, got spun by the writers into the female, fish-out-of-water sort of ideal woman kind of trope thing at the time during the 80s and everything like that so i don't know necessarily if a guy would have come out of the sea macking on a girl quite as hard i think this is more in the direction of like the male fantasy so i don't know what a man would write as the female fantasy version of this either but i don't know yeah it would be a very different movie very okay so Kara, here here we're gonna we're gonna play a game here Kara, pitch us a movie oh god take this however you want to take it What's your ideal male mermaid coming out of the sea fantasy? Oh, boy. Get as graphic and as lore as possible. <laughs> Keep in mind, it's a PG movie. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But it's also a PG movie before PG-13 exists, which is why they're able to subtitle, I've got a 12-inch penis, because, uh, you know. It was a di- originally a Disney movie, and they created an entirely new distribution wing to put this movie out because it was a PG movie and it had like graphic nature to it. Yeah, it's a touchdown, right? So it's, uh, you know. I do think that, what's her name again? Oh, Jillian Bell. The girl, if, if you don't know, she's from Workaholic. She's the, not you, but the, but the listener. Yes. Yeah, I did have to Google it, but now I know who she is. Yeah, I think they would be amazing together. They would be so funny. I think so too. I don't think that you can make this movie now. Uh, <laughs> Oh boy, I don't know. Like, some things that, like, wouldn't be in this reboot would be Eugene Levy assaulting multiple women with buckets of water. Is it multiple or is it the same woman over and over again? No, I'm pretty sure it's different women. But the fact that we're not even sure is, like, not a great sign. I think, I think the joke is that he, because he, there's a woman who looks like Daryl Hannah, right? And so he sprays her on the sidewalk in oh, her... Oh, it's definitely different woman. Now that you say that, I remember that woman. In the elevator? Because he sees her from behind, yeah, and she's like a young blonde woman. Oh. But the woman in the elevator is much older. Yeah, I think they have different husbands, and 
and they're just they're all blonde and they're wearing the same dress that Daryl Hannah happens to be wearing at the time so he can't tell them apart but also like the people in the elevator he wasn't chasing that woman he was chasing Madison who just didn't wind up in the elevator that he thought she was so the elevator doors open and he just sprays the water without pausing to see if that's actually her either way (laughs) it it doesn't really matter is the male reboot of this aquaman maybe i haven't seen it well it's great you should see it it's kind of interesting though because in that aquaman is sort of more of like a ditz and there's a much stronger female character in that movie that kind of like takes the reins Mm -hmm. for a while and everything so i don't know it's the dynamic in that film is very modern and interesting and works so i wonder if something like that can be applied to you know a mermaid comedy instead of like an action blockbuster yeah it's just that the the mermaid like as as a symbol i think is really interesting from like a gender dynamic and so i don't really care about a, a merman like i don't that's not really a story that interests me but maybe like if it was all mer people mer folk you know i'd i'd see that movie well that's kind of aquaman but i'm also just like i'm a little bit over watching movies with male leads like in general <laughs> which is my own problem well it's it, i feel like it's a wistful thinking problem because i've heard jordan saying that for like 18 months now yeah well i think it's a being a woman in the world problem i think that's also probably pretty fair and valid because mm-hmm. like once you tune into just how few strong female leads there really are in film and television like you can't stop you can't unsee it and it just is a problem that snowballs with everything that i watch so yeah i don't know i can't answer your question really no question so you said you would watch a movie where like everyone is a mermaid oh hell yeah do you think that that still have like a unique quality because i feel like if everyone's a mermaid like pardon the pun but like the, i think the purpose or the joy of a mermaid is that's a, a fish out of water right like where it's right. a you're now in the land of people whether you're in the lore and you're singing in a polish nightclub or whatever and have to sit in the bath every once in a while and like eat some dudes or if you're ariel and you you know have a curse to get your legs back or in this movie where she just falls in love um like it's, it's you trying to cope with the world around you like if you have everyone being a mermaid isn't it sort of in a way just like everyone's a person or maybe well, not yeah but we make that movie all the time with human beings like it doesn't it doesn't matter it's just it would be a rom-com except everyone happens to be mermaids you know what i mean yeah uh, what if it's you know the human that falls down to the bottom of the ocean and you know he's the fish out of water reversal kind of thing or she or whatever a group of humans you know discover the underground, like you have sort of a Jacques Cousteau uh, expedition. Mm, interesting. And then they get to like the hollow earth and all that kind of thing. And Sure. I, I would watch that movie, yes. But I think, you know, if you set it where like everybody's a mermaid, it solves the mermaid problem of like, do these mermaids fuck? Because the answer is obviously <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, obviously they fuck. I mean, look at them. Is there, are there more, th- is there more than one mermaid? I guess there presumably are. Is, are? Theoretically, like you're talking in the in the universe of uh, Splash or in general, are there more than one? Is there more than one mermaid in the world? I mean, legend has it. No. Uh, Yeah. In the movie, Joey, at the very, very end in the credits, you see the Mer Kingdom for one shot. And apparently there were a few other shots that got trimmed and a sequence where she was going to actually be seen like floating around inside the Mer Kingdom. But I don't know if they even shot that stuff. Uh, Again, this is some audio commentary babble. 
Yeah, I forgot about that shot. And I remember, like, and I just finished it today. I don't know how I forgot already. But, like, when I was watching, I was like, oh, there's a whole fucking city down there. And, like, (laughs) (laughs) there was literally not a single indication that she had come from somewhere. You know, like, if she were a more developed character, we would know that, like, oh, she had a life. Other than this one moment 20 years ago when she and Tom Hanks are in the water at the same time. And then like when she winds up on Liberty Island, like, oh, there were other things happening in between there. She has parents. She has friends. You know, she like came from somewhere. And there's not any sense of that whatsoever in the movie until that one shot where it's like, oh, there's a whole fucking city. Well, the one thing I think she references, and maybe this is either poor writing or Tom Hanks being selfish or just not asking her questions or not caring about who she is because she's a mermaid. What else do you need to know? That's very clear. But she's like, oh, this is how we eat lobsters where I come from. It's like, oh. Oh, I forgot she said that. And he doesn't, but there's no follow-up. It's just like, oh, no. So they go to the dinner, right? They go to the fancy dinner and she eats a lobster like a maniac and then they go outside and she wants to explain to him or something or he he wants to ask her a question and she says oh that's how i eat lobsters he's like oh i don't care about that i want to ask you to marry me it's like wait wait whoa 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 hold on where are you from before i ask you will you marry me where are you from that you eat lobsters like that and then she could be like well but i mean like that's the thing with this movie like that's just the punchline is that oh she's a fish and she's from under the sea so she eats the shell like she just all the time like she'll float around grab a lobster you know and bite into it for a snack and she's just acting like herself from back home but where we are like here's the thing that i don't understand like the, the two or three things we do find out about her civilization there's like there's no art there's no music there's no act there's none of the- she is wearing jewelry though She's wearing an interesting piece of jewelry, yeah. She is wearing that necklace, but I presume that she found that from her shipwreck, the sort of that one very Ariel sequence that we have with the maps and stuff. So I just can't understand why she even wants to go back there in the first place. Like, it just, I don't know. I'm having trouble with motivation as well. It would have been great to just have one scene where she's like running away from home or something to that effect where we just or she even tells him she, she drops some lines about like immigration right like she's got six days and he's like oh is your visa expired and she's like haha i don't you know i don't understand but let's go with it but it's all just like punchline 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 kind of stuff so i just do wish that they kind of tried to fit in some you know real motivation there i feel like motivation is what this movie is lacking just across the board like it's you know <laughs> I don't understand why any of this happens, really, other than it just happens, which I guess is fine. But also, you know, I think what's tough, Mike, is that, you know, this is the sixth episode of the show and only our third movie. And the first movie, Hanks was barely in. And the second one, he's only in like half of. So this is the first time we're actually seeing him in a full movie. And it's like, oh, like this should be sort of like the emergence of Tom Hanks. And it's, you know, it's a big movie. And instead, he's just a whiny little bitch the whole time. He's terrible in this. Yeah, it's weird. He's like the opposite of like the leading man in a lot of ways in this movie. Um, I, it, and they're trying to do some kind of like modern fairy tale with this, which I think is what is supposed to be whimsical, comes across as like creepy and weird because of, you know, just because of the times and stuff, I think. And it is creepy and weird. But yeah, in, in general, I think there's like a lot of just you know missteps with like directing and stuff and and the script and things but somehow i think like it does hold together as a film and works on some level but you know it's not the best 
Well, I think to Daryl Hannah's credit, first of all, I mean, she's impossibly beautiful, so that helps. But also, she's kind of a great actress, and I don't think that like people really give her much credit for like how kind of like effortlessly funny and weird she is and like even when she is not speaking she gets like so much across just like in her face that I was actually really impressed by on this watch and I think that the reason that this movie works even a little bit is largely because of her. I don't know if I've seen her in anything that's not this or Kill Bill. What else would I have seen her in Mike? Anything that you know that I would sort of know her from? The original Blade Runner. Oh, yeah, she's Pris in Blade Runner. That's probably her other most famous role. I think Steel Magnolias, I knew her from that movie. That was, um, you know, I used to watch that a lot. I (laughs) haven't seen it in a while. Would like to revisit that one day, but... I meant to look this up, and then I didn't, because I just, I don't want to put more of this stuff into my brain, but I think that she is among the many women in Hollywood who had their careers kind of interfered with in some way. And I, like I said, I didn't like look for details about that, but I feel like I remember hearing that at some point that like she was supposed to be this like huge star and then it didn't work out for some mysterious reason. And that mysterious reason is probably some asshole producers. So there's that. That's probably why. Yeah, I do I do think she's great in this, though. And I think maybe that's it. I think the people around Hanks in this movie are really good. Like, uh, I like the Eugene Levy character a lot until he starts running around, like, hosing down, you know, every woman he sees. But I just, the, the idea that he's right and no one believes him and he's this obsessive sort of scientist. I, I, I love what John Candy as just the, you know, the hedonist, like, just going full tilt with all that. My favorite scene when we get to it the racquetball stuff like it's just insane so i i think like it's not so much hanks but the role i think he's okay with what what's going on like he can handle it but the people around him for me i think is what uh is what like keeps me into this movie the most i didn't love john candy in this i will say didn't love it but that racquetball scene it is really good. And Kara, I'm sure you saw on IMDb that that racquetball scene, that when he gets hit on the head, it was the first take that they did that. That was all in the oh, really? first. Yeah, wow. he hit it and just, you know, creamed into his head on the first take. It's like, I guess we got it. Let's let's move on. Yeah. Uh, he's like Bender to me in this yeah. movie is like basically what it came down to. So I was like, oh. I love John Candy in this movie, but I hate his character, if that makes sense. Like I hate yeah. everything he does, but I love how he does it. Oh, yeah. He's supposed to be the one you don't like, and you're supposed to like Hanks, you know, because he's the straight arrow, I think. But also, John Candy seems like the fun one. Like, I feel like Hanks is portrayed, his character is is portrayed as this, like, you know, lonely, miserable, unloved, unlucky in love kind of guy. And John Candy, you know, not the most naturally handsome man, you know, overweight, whatever, but is able to basically pick up women wherever he goes. And so I feel like, based on that alone, Hank should have, you know, he's like the ultimate wingman, it seems. And it seems like John Candy is, you know, lovable and doesn't seem, I guess I almost, I could call myself, aside from the whole throw coins on the ground, look up a woman's skirt. Looking up women's skirts, for, like which seems to be a lifetime occupation, both as a child and as a grown-ass man. Well, doesn't he, he says something like, you know, if it works, it works or whatever. Why, why change my routine? Which, sure, but also stop. But, you know, aside from that predatory behavior, it seems like he's genuinely, you know, aside from that massive uh, personality trait, uh, seems like he's kind of a good guy. I don't know. I 
don't know if I'd go so far as to say that. I would say cares about his brother, yes. right? Like mean, try, means well, but, you know, good intentions are sometimes good for nothing, right? Like he's, yeah, clearly his lifestyle is the pits. But I think he's just more there to show the extreme and to be like, yeah, you know, that is the bad swinging bachelor sort of stuff going on. And like, not that Hanks and Madison have like a healthy relationship. I mean, that's not good either. Believe me, you. But I think it's trying to say like what's going on there isn't, you know, as bad. It's the more sort of romantic, try to be like this love at first sight kind of, you know, romance thing. So I don't, I'm not saying it works. I'm just trying to figure out like the contrast between the brothers and everything because they are they aren't like from the very beginning they are set up to be like diametric opposites in every way mm-hmm. right even like down with their hair color like you got a like cute little blonde kid and cute little brunette kid and hanks is the mopey brunette one thing I, and it's not really related to this but one thing i did want to rem- that i was i just had stuck in my head right now i want to make sure i don't forget it is you know when they say cape cod 20 years ago and then they say new york city this morning i was like i've never seen a, a title card that says this morning like not present yeah. day not today but which is now 30 years ago. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. 35. 35 years ago. Wow. I, I couldn't... Every time I saw the Twin Towers, I couldn't get Pardue out of my head. I was like, <laughs> Hanks is looking up at himself right now. Pardue's up there. It's so weird to see those in movies. Like, even though they were there for, like, the first 15 years of my life, it's, like, really weird to see them now. Yeah, we talked about because we, you know, in the last movie that we covered for Hanks the Memories two two episodes ago, Kara, he plays. It's basically a Dungeons and Dragons esque movie, and uh, he's looking for the two towers, or which are the twin towers, and so he goes up there and almost jumps off uh, to kill himself because he's out of touch with reality. Sounds fun. And they actually shot in the lobby and, and everything of the actual World Trade Center. So so let us go to the beginning and just let me, because I have some, there's a lot of notes that I want to make sure that we talk about. The fir- the very first thing is that this movie kicks off with Wooly Bully. And I was like, oh shit, we're going to have another movie with a great soundtrack. And then in the opening credits, there's even a, a song credited in the intro. And I was like, oh, here we go. Because, you know, we were talking last episode, the, the Cruise episode, Mike, about how four of the first six Cruise episodes have like these great soundtracks, great themes great scores whatever and then like i'm sure that there's music but like the music in my head goes away until the very final like the closing credits when they swim through the ocean and i was like oh sort of a fake out kind of i was a little bummed too that it wasn't some kind of um like interlude or theme woven in like madison's theme or whatever the love theme from splash and nothing but like yeah there's just kind of like either i don't know i don't really recall a lot of score in this movie either but you know they drop it at the end it's an end credit song so uh, and it's a very slow ballad one fine day love came for me and love was rare as love can be I pictured, I pictured them sort of drowning to that song, not exactly like swimming away to the rest of their lives. I mean, I would watch that movie for sure. There's a lot of really great sunshine sparkle in this movie, which is like when the sunshine like dances on the water, which is just a thing that I enjoy in life and I like to see it on screen. Is that a term you coined? Because I've heard that before. Jordan and I talk you about it. You talk about it on the whistle. Okay, good. Yeah. It is beautiful. 
oh, I think I've done this. This this was something I questioned during Bosom Buddies because the opening of that starts with their building being demolished by a wrecking ball. And I was like, is Bosom Buddies just a Jacob Ladders sort of scenario here where he's living his afterlife and everything out in his head? Spoilers for Jacob's Ladder. And is this, did the Hanks character drown when he was a little boy? Oh, wow. And is this all sort of an afterlife kind of scenario until he jumps into the ocean again at the end and dies for real in his mind oh, or wow. something. I just want to know. <laughs> you know, you know, Mike, I appreciate the creativity. I also appreciate the call out to how did this get made? There's not two episodes in a row. You, you thought that all the right moves was a Jacob Ladder scenario too. So I don't, I'm, I'm worried what's going on in your head, but I do like. Well, that, that wasn't until the very end where, true. where I thought he had an accident at the uh, factory, but. But you still thought Tom Cruise died in that movie. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I just watched Jacob's Ladder last week, literally, and I love this idea. 10 out of 10, absolutely <laughs> watched that movie, that version of this movie. Okay, so actually, before we go any further, before I continue through my notes, I, I want to—I I always sort of forget to do this because, Kara, I don't know if you've heard any of our Tom Tom episodes, but we have a little bit more structure on these episodes than we have in the past. So we're going to start here. Kara, what was your favorite moment from Splash? Or, as Mike says, Splash! I don't know if it was necessarily a favorite moment, like action-wise, what's going on in the scene, but there's this really uh, beautiful shot uh, when she is in captivity in that government lab, and she's like sad and like curled up in in like the corner of this big fish tank and lit from behind, and it's just really beautiful, and I enjoyed that. That's very nice. I also liked the ice skating scene until it went south. Well, of course. I mean, that's like your bread and butter. Mike, what about you? What was your favorite moment in Splash? <laughs> so there's a lot of like cool little things going on in the background here. Like, for instance, the, the sequence I mentioned earlier where they first talk to each other and try to get to know each other and they're running around Times Square. There's a lot of cool movies playing in the background. Evil Dead is having a double feature with Extro. And I think the outside, they run by the, the outsiders. I made a note of that. Absolutely. Yeah, so that that's cool. Um, the We mentioned the racquetball. That was going to be, I think, my favorite moment until I just searched my notes and I had something circled. Okay. When Hanks, after the wedding, goes back to Cape Cod and he rents the boat from Mr. Fat Jack. Oh, Mm -hmm. So like that whole sequence when Jack jumps overboard and everything and goes away and everything is great. Like I like that moment, but there's one shot when Eugene Levy is looking through his telescope and he just, they cut to a shot of Hanks just sitting in the boat by himself, (laughs) like in the middle of the frame. And it was just like the funniest, like most adorable thing, I think, in the entire movie. Well, because he looks so tiny in the boat. The boat, like, comes, yeah. like, where the seat is in the boat is, like, lower down, so it comes up to, like, where his shoulder is. Yeah, he looks really tiny and hilarious. You know, Mike, that reminds me of one of my favorite, I don't know if it's my favorite favorite, actually, I know what my favorite is, I'm going to say that next, but one of my favorite moments is when he returns home and finds out that uh, Madison has left, that Daryl Hannah has gone shopping because she sees on TV Bloomingdale's, goes downstairs rocking Hanks' suit, like, looking better than he does at any point in this movie, goes downstairs, has the doorman bring her or get a cab to bring her to Bloomingdale's. He gets home, figures out she's not there, freaks out, runs down. He hits the down button on one elevator and then goes across the hallway and hits another down button, which I guess are not connected. But then there's this great shot where he's, like, 
hovering between the two elevators like almost like he's a base runner between like first and second like trying to figure out if he should steal or not and i was like this is such a weird cool shot and i loved it but you know mike my favorite moment and i'm sure you know what's coming after he first you know after he comes back from cape cod with madison and he you know they have their night of passionate love making and he goes to work in the best mood what does he do do you know he's juggling he's juggling to zippity do that yep he juggles Kara, this is now three or four of six episodes that Tom Hanks has juggled in. Is this his only special skill, do you think? Well, he learned how to juggle, I think, on Bosom. If he didn't know before, he learned on Bosom Buddies because there's a lot of juggling on that show that Peter Scolari and him both juggle a couple times. Yeah, I learned on the audio commentary that Peter Scolari actually taught him to juggle. And ever since, like, yeah. he's been very proud of that skill and has tried to work it into a lot of stuff. Because he juggles in Family Ties, the episodes of Family Ties he's in, and he's, he juggles in this. So like, you know, I don't know if that's a thing. Like, you know, Mike, we realized only when we talked to Lindsay Gibb halfway through Cage Club that Cage shaves in like 13 or 14 movies. Like, I wonder if we picked up on this thing very early that I never knew about. I know. Is he going to juggle in like Philadelphia? Like what? I mean, it, it's, it's just <laughs> something you could throw in there at any moment. So. All right. Now, Kara, this could go in really any number of directions. But on the other side of the coin, what is your least favorite moment of Splash? Oh, boy. And we're not using exclamation here to say splash. It's like a splash frowny face emoji. Yeah. I'm looking at my notes because I might have written it down, maybe. I'm just thinking of so many things that I did not like. While you think about that, I have a suggestion for you, Mike. So when he and Daryl Hannah get back to the apartment building for the first time, and, you know, she walks around in the entire, the revolving door, and she walks back out, which was, was funny. Uh, but then they go up in the, es- in the elevator, and they stop between the third and fourth floor, I guess, to fuck on the elevator. I don't know. But I was thinking, could stopping between the third and fourth floor be our euphemism oh. for sex? That's a pretty good one. I like the sound. It's not bad, <laughs> right? Nice. I think, you know, I was pretty proud when I noticed that. All right. Okay, yeah, I like it. That was the perfect amount of time for me to figure this out. Well, so. you're, I'm a, I'm a professional. I'm a podcast professional, Kara, so <laughs> you're welcome. So it's the scene when she is forcibly transformed into a mermaid and then whisked away by, like, government agents. I found that scene very upsetting because it's like she is physically assaulted and then, like, you know, kidnapped, essentially. Yeah. And it's, yeah. like, pretty violent and, yeah, yeah it was upsetting. I clearly remember, like, I I saw this as a little kid in the theaters, like, the whole family went, like, this was a big hit and everything, but I clearly remember sitting there, like, when the third act turned like that, being, like, very confused and sort of worried and knowing, like, stuff is going very wrong and wanting the movie to, like, turn around very quickly and, like, you know what I mean? Like, get back on, like, you know, make me laugh again and stuff. So, like, that, even as, like, a little kid, uh, that sequence was, was pretty disturbing. What about, so would you say, is that your least favorite moment, Mike, or do you have another moment that you like less? Okay, so, like, I have an adult least favorite moment now, and I, it's when... That's a weird way to say that, but I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, so it's when, you know, Madison wakes up in the middle of the night, and she just wants to take a saltwater bath so that she could stretch her fin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about this part. I also hated this. Yeah, and, like, Hanks is forcibly trying to, like, get in there and, like, open and get in, like, into the bath with her and everything and stuff. I was like, woof, like, this is not going well. And the whole time she's like, I'm fine. <laughs> Leave me alone. Yeah, yeah. I'm just taking a bath. And he's like, well, I can take a bath with you. I was like, ooh, just go back to bed, bro. Haven't you had a long enough day? Yeah. I mean, to play devil's advocate for a second, I don't like that he's like, oh, you're taking a bath. Like, let me get in there. Like, it starts creepy. But I do feel like 
she's in his home. He does think something's genuinely wrong with her. I know she's saying she's fine. No. Nope. Mm-mm. Nope. But she's making all sorts of weird noises in there, and it's like, I I can see he's concerned. Maybe you don't break down the door, but I think, he, I can see he wants to do something. I don't know, I don't know what you do there. Yeah, no, I mean, I get that, but no. Well, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> Ultimately, I agree. I'm just saying it's not 100% crazy, maybe just like 50% crazy, 50% dick. I don't know. My least favorite moment is when she gets to Liberty State Park or Liberty Island or whatever, and has... Hanks's wallet and is looking for his address, which apparently she doesn't speak English, but she can understand that. Yeah, she knows how to read English. She just doesn't know how to speak it, apparently. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. What also doesn't make sense in this movie is like how she turns into a mermaid, because it felt like to me, or maybe it was just for comfort, that when she takes the bath, it's a saltwater bath, like that's what sprouts the tail. But it's just all water? Because like, it's not like Eugene Levy has a saltwater hose. He just has a hose. Yeah, and she hides from the rain at one point. It's like, why? Well, so this is overly scientific and completely unnecessary, but salt water has some different properties than fresh water. But it would make sense that, like, even if fresh water transforms her in back into a mermaid, like, she might still need to get, like, the electrolytes from the salt water or something like that. That could be why, towards the end, when they're keeping her in the freshwater tank, she starts peeling. It looks like she's getting sick. She doesn't have, like, the nutrients from the salt. Yeah, so there's, like, a lot of stuff that's in salt water that isn't in uh, freshwater, especially salt, and that could be why. Most notably salt. Uh, yes, well, that's, a, that's a very good point. Um, but my, my least favorite moment is when she gets out of the water and she's, you know, on Liberty Island and is walking, I guess, through the island to get to the other side of the I don't know. I don't know. And it seems like everyone is just like, oh my God, naked woman, take pictures with me. And no one is just like, like not even like, you know, an, an older woman just like, you know, honey, like, let me give you my coat to cover you up or something. Like nobody is concerned with her. Or somebody saying like, are you cold? I think the tour guide was was actually trying to help. He was the only one, the one who who exclaimed "bocce balls," which, <laughs> as a kid, really cracked me up. I got to tell you. Oh, it cracked me up as an adult. I laughed. I think that's probably the hardest I laughed in the whole movie. We do have early on uh, an A plus freakout from Hanks, which I'm definitely going to nominate later. Mike. My- oh, is this when he freaks out at Ron Howard's brother? Yes. At Clint Howard, yes. So he, we, we never see her on screen, but Hanks has a live-in girlfriend or fiance or something who he can never say he loves to. Like that's his whole problem. In this movie, he can't say either he doesn't love them or can't say he loves them or whatever. It seems that like he does not love her. He say like he makes that pretty clear to his brother. He's like trying, he wants to, and he just doesn't. Okay. Well, then maybe don't move in with her. I agree, but you know. So she dumps him over the telephone. Uh, he goes to the wedding the next day of his employee. And everyone who's coming in just like, where's your girlfriend? Where's your girlfriend? And he's like, she's sick. She's got the flu, blah, blah, blah. And then just progressively gets more and more angry. And then says, she left me. She moved out. My life's in shambles. Okay, that's the news. You want the weather? Anywhere but the first three rows. And I was just like, oh, like that's, it's those moments that like shine through where I'm like, there's performance here. There's like cleverness. There's humor. There's, you know, stuff that's over the top. And it just, surrounded by ickiness that was probably uncomfortable a little bit in 1984 and is definitely uncomfortable in 2019. Well, I mean, welcome to watching comedies that weren't made two months ago. Yeah. And even those are probably still sometimes problematic, so. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, though, Joey, that I think, you know, a lot of that stuff is, I could attribute that to, I think, to Hanks, like, just trying to find moments that are better 
than what's yeah. going on, you know? Because, like, yeah, basically, like, this character is a schmuck. Like, I don't like this guy. Like, I don't really especially care about him. But I love the time where he's, like, trying to gauge which elevator is yep. going to, you know, come first and things like that. Or, you know, juggling and singing zippity doo dah. And so there, there are things that Hanks is doing that I like. But I don't know that they're necessarily always in character <laughs> to what the guy is and stuff. So it's weird. It's definitely weird like that. You know, I, I like stuff where after the wedding they go to the bar and he falls asleep at the bar or whatever and wakes up and pretzels are like glued to his face. And like, that's great. But then he's just like such a drunk asshole to the people around him. And I get that this is showing that he's miserable and he wants love and doesn't have love, but it's, it doesn't make me like him more. You know, if he's supposed to be like you're saying earlier, and I think I agree with you, Mike, that like he's supposed to be the likable one, right? Like he's supposed to be the one that we root for, but this scene isn't doing that. Yeah. Agreed. I agree with you there, too. And I mean, there's an, even a moment where he gets in the... It's a, it's such a small moment, but, like, he gets in the cab, and uh, he's like, take me to Cape Cod, and the guy's got, like, you know, you got the money for that, and he's like, flashes the money, and at first I was like, oh, that's kind of like a snob move, but then the guy accelerates, and, you know... Hanks takes over and he like throws himself into the back of the cab and I was like oh okay there's like the balance that I guess you know he's providing it's like he's sort of trying to counterbalance like sort of the bad jokes or like the punchlines aren't falling so like he'll do something physical and it'll sort of lift the scene or or at least like you know make me smile and be like uh that's something I can hold on to. So let's play a quick game. I don't know if either of you looked this up, but he takes a cab ride. That cab ride that you're talking about, Mike, he goes from New York City to Cape Cod. About a four and a half hour, I think it's like 240 miles or something like that. Any guesses on what it would cost in uh, $2018? $10,000. To take a car from New York to Cape Cod? I feel like like a metered cab, yeah. Like if you arranged for a car, no, it would probably be like a few hundred dollars. But if you took like a metered New York City cab to Cape Cod, it would be a lot. Yeah, I'd say a few thousand. It's not that high. It's according to IMDb again. You know, this is maybe spotty math. Seven hundred dollars. Oh, which that's not bad. It's not. It's not crazy. I don't. I mean, you know, metered cab. Who who knows? I don't know. I will say though that when my boss flew to Denver in January and had to take a three-hour car ride from the Denver airport to where he was staying in sort of southern Colorado, car rides, like a private car ride, was $1,200. And I was like, no, what? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, because... Mm, does it make sense? I'm not sure now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know. It's a lot of money. I was asking people out there on the phone, like, why does this cost so much money? Like, we live in New York. We're from New York. This movie takes place in New York. New York is ostensibly where the things are the most expensive. Like, we just come to accept that. And he's like, well, you know, we have to get a driver and hire a driver and make sure there's a car. I'm like, oh, so like the fundamental principles of car service. Like, you just need a person <laughs> in a car. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you. It's just snowy. I was like, okay, but that's still not $1,200. But Oh, well, snow and shit. I mean, that, that changes the equation. If, like, the, the the driver is putting themselves in danger, they should get hazard pay. I guess, but, I mean, it's always snowy out there. Anyway, we digress. Back to Splash! <laughs> Two things about the whole beach scene. I like Eugene Levy's assistants because they reminded me of Andy and Ollie from Bob's Burgers. I don't know if either of you watch Bob's Burgers. Yeah. But they're, I think it's Sarah Silverman and Laura Silverman play Andy and Ollie, who are just, like, these, like, dodo little twins. They're just perfectly comedic, and they reminded me 
Like these these not twins in this movie reminded me of them. And what I liked about the Fat Jack boat scene, Mike, is that it reminded me, and Kara, I think, I hope you've seen this movie because I know that Jordan loves it and I know that Mike and I both love it. It reminds me of the beginning of Sleepaway Camp when Tom Hanks in this movie sees the boat coming at his head and instead of killing him and setting up this chain of events uh, that takes hours to decode on how did this get made, uh, we just get him to be conked, go underwater, and get rescued by Daryl Hannah. But I just liked that visual of a boat coming at his head and just like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, that was pretty great, too. I I forgot that the boat hit him on the head. I don't know. Then he wakes up on the shore and everything. But he wakes up on the shore next to a new Daryl Hannah, makes out with him, and then swims off. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that's a interesting thing. Maybe that maybe that's the point in which he died. He just drowned yeah. there, and he w- <laughs> then he starts fantasizing about making out with a naked chick on the beach. Or what if what if he died as a kid and then you know lived this fantasy life that he was miserable, which is the that's the fucked up part that he dies and lives a terrible, <laughs> loveless life. Well, that's like that's the case in Jacob's Ladder too. It's like you're in a purgatorial holding pattern, you know. Okay, so then you die again. And the rest of the movie is heaven. You die like for real. Like you, you, you get a, you get ascended. Like you know, you're no longer Neo on Mobile Ave. Uh, the train man cometh and take you to heaven. Right. No, she comes down. She's the she's the angel that is gonna bring him to the kingdom at the end. And instead of up in the sky, it's under the sea at the bottom of the ocean. Is she the angel or is she the boatman? The boatman cometh. That's right. And all she's just trying to do is is shepherd him to the other side. Ferry his soul. Yep. I love it. Somebody else gets a traumatic brain injury in this movie. It's the secretary at their fruit company. What happened to her? Oh, she got she struck in the, in the head, head by, by lightning. lightning. Yeah. And then it's played for a joke through the entire movie. Did not appreciate that. She can still do certain things. Okay, cool. She just wears her bra on the outside and takes messages from their dead father. Like, it's... Hmm. Okay. So apparently this movie... So I'm just continuing to go through my notes. And when, you know, after they go to Bloomingdale's and she, you know, sweats to the oldies or whatever with Richard Simmons, which is a fun scene. Oh, and also a real quick... One of the images that flashes on that TV is of Crazy Eddie. Mm-hmm. With, uh... In uh, Paramus. A location in Paramus. Well, he's the one who scares her, Right. Like, she, like, freaks out. Yeah. When they're walking and he names her Madison because they're on Madison Ave, apparently this is the movie that introduced Madison into the lexicon of girls' names. Interesting. This was the movie that sort of inspired people because he even says in the movie, he's like, that's not a name. But she's like, I like it. Fun fact, in the 2018 Olympics, the United States had two Madisons on the ice dancing team alone. Love it. Well, when he uh, when he's suggesting names, he suggests uh, both Samantha and Elizabeth. Uh, Samantha is his was his then wife, his first wife, and Elizabeth was his daughter or is his daughter. So uh, you know he's saying names that are actually connected to Tom Hanks the actor, uh, which I think is kind of a cool little uh, Easter egg there. There's a really terrible CGI moment where after he, uh, Eugene Levy sprays the first woman on the sidewalk with the hose and then takes the picture out, we see the guy like put his hand up to you know beat him up and like it is the worst CGI hand it's a blue screen hand yeah it's so bad it's so bad you can see like the at least on my dvd there was a uh, like a blue line around the guy's yeah. hand i was like what that's not even that guy's hand i was like what like the graphics we use at rctv to like transition like the robot like live at the lake with the robot was like more realistic than this hand i'll just leave it at that um that is an inside joke for no one to understand there was an interesting 
special effects shot though i think it was in the bathtub scene and it like you see like just like a part of her thigh and you actually see it like transform from human skin into scales i thought that was cool yeah, so on the uh, commentary, Ron Howard said that that is the actually, like, that is a visual effect. Like, that's all practical. So it's supposed to seem like one shot, but there's a hidden cut where, like, the camera swoops around the bathtub. And, like, um, I think he said they, like, vacuum sealed something on her leg, like the scales. And so, like, they could just sort of, like, you know, take the air out of it. So it would look like they were growing. And then she'd get in the tub and there was a, uh, the tail was built into the bathtub. So, like, when she sat back and relaxed, it unfolded folded and everything so like that whole bathtub sequence is like very technical and uh was really cool yeah and i enjoyed that and then like the next thing happened and like erased it from my brain so i forgot that it that it was there what movies came out around this time that are super super technical i mean return of the jedi was the year before right yeah, ghostbusters was okay. around this time. back to the future would be around this time. so so yeah so it's uh there's not really an excuse for it to be this bad in places other than just budget i guess right yeah, I think so. Which is weird that, you know, they were like, we're making a mermaid movie with like, you know, we're going to, obviously they were like, we're going to need the tail and all this. Like there's going to be effects, you know, maybe we should just like factor that into the budget, like go over a little, you know, spend a little more on that side of the uh, aisle, but I don't know, who knows. Yeah, but I imagine like they probably had like 15 different tails that they were working with. So like... I don't know the actual number. That was probably an exaggeration, but I, I feel like just the tails alone were probably like a huge, huge special effects undertake, undertaking. The movie cost $8 million and it made $70 million. So it was a massive, massive hit. It was so big that four years later they made Splash 2, a straight-to-TV what? sequel. What? Uh, Splash, comma, T-O-O. Oh, like Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O. Wow, that was trendy. Or The Limited 2, which was a clothing store that doesn't exist for young for young ladies right yep 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 yep. splash 2 was first broadcast in two parts in the disney sunday movie on may 1st and may 8th 1988 on abc it's all the same characters but all new actors wait how I don't know. It's Alan and Madison and Freddy. Set four years after the events of the first movie, Alan and his wife Madison have been living on a deserted island hideaway. Alan is bored on the island and admits he misses New York City and his older brother Freddy. Madison has the magical ability to view images, apparently, and communicate by running her finger in a circular motion over liquid water. She uses this method to show Alan how things are going back in New York with Freddy. And then so it just goes from there. So I don't know if this was... Uh, successful. It had a budget of $3.3 million. Uh, well, they never made Splash 3, so I don't know how good it could have done. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, you, I guess you'll never cover that for your podcast. But but going back to the, the, to the fin for a second, it seems like this was miserable for Daryl Hannah to shoot because yeah, probably. the fin weighed 35 pounds. Uh, yeah. She said that she couldn't eat while in it because she couldn't go to the bathroom. Like, it took, I think, a couple hours or three hours or something to, like that every morning to put it on. So I think once she was in there, she was in there. And so when, you know, they would break for lunch and stuff, she just had to sit there. She said shivering, you know, freezing in water with barnacles in her hair, unable to eat, unable to do anything because she couldn't, you know, use the bathroom. So that's, it just, it just sounds shitty. I mean, she's not in a, she's not in a tale for a lot of the movie, but like, there's a lot of it where just like, that must have been miserable, like a couple of weeks to, to film this. Yeah, and like probably took so much longer to shoot because of like the special effects stuff involved. And those underwater scenes, like there's so little of the movie and it probably took so long to shoot that. And I can't imagine like how wet and cold it must have been. Now that that you say that, I 
I understand why there's so little underwater photography in this yeah. movie because what what's in there like that that sunken ship sequence is incredible like technically like that's an amazing how long that goes on for and then the fight at the end i'm like what is happening like how would they like yeah they really go all out in those moments so i guess that's why there's so few of them but i do think we should probably give the movie credit for choosing like when to pick its battles in that regard you know what i mean like they yeah they really do a good job of making those moments count. I wish we had more, but maybe they wouldn't mean as much, or who knows. That's the thing that's so, like, weird about this that I kind of, like, couldn't get a handle on. Is like, technically, this movie is incredible. Yeah, it is. So much of the cinematography is really great. Like, it's it just sucks otherwise. <laughs> we see Tom Hanks almost fully naked in this movie, that after they capture her, they want to see if he's a mermaid too. And so he's standing naked in a tub with his hands over his junk, saying, I am not a fish. How many times am I going to have to tell you people that? And then Daryl Hannah comes in there, and then they get separated, and then he has to go rescue her uh, through the help of Eugene Levy, who's not a bad guy, just ask his friends. Hanks also has a line, all my life I've been waiting for somebody, and when I find her, she's a fish. And John Candy said, nobody said love's perfect, which is just, you know, a good line. Yeah, uh, he leaves his brother behind in that government lab and, like, never says goodbye or, like, they never resolve that, even though they've, like, snuck this top secret project out of this government lab and, like, left his brother behind. That was weird. I don't think he knew he was going to never see him again forever, but that is true. Like, as part of the plan is, um, Freddy, you stay behind and go to prison. Like, the rest of us hightail it out of here like a bunch of maniacs. (laughs) I think that's all the notes that I have about the movie. There's there's trivia that I want to share with you guys, um, but is there anything else, Cara? Do you have anything else you want to say about the movie before we go through trivia and play a couple games? Mike, anything while she looks, anything that you want to uh, be a podcast professional and fill this fill this empty void? So the one thing that totally forgot about and blanked on in this movie is the car chase moment at the end of this, which is really competent. And then I remember that Ron Howard actually made two car chase films with Roger Corman. He made Grand Theft Auto and Eat My Dust, which are oh. just like... 90 minutes of crashes, which are kind of crazy. Uh, And I think he had only made one other movie before this, the one with Michael Keaton and Henry Winkler and Shelley Long, Night Shift, I think. Oh, okay. And he's still working today, and he will work again with Hanks. I think they forged a friendship on the set here. And Like, I, I think, you know, he's a really competent director, and he has not done very much at this point. So it just he just needs better scripts, and, he'll, and that Ronnie Howard's going to be someone. Saying that he, you know, formed a bond with Hanks, like, he apparently formed a bond with Michael Keaton, too, because they considered him or they wanted him to be both the Hanks and I think also the John Candy role. Like, he was sort of looked at for both i don't remember because there's 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 a laundry list of people who i can we can go through that in a little bit of people who were considered for both of the leads um but he was considered for both of the lead male roles and i don't know i don't remember if it was because he couldn't do it or wasn't right for it or whatever uh, but you know it seems like ron howard is loyal to the people who are good to him so good on you carol what you got did you, did you come up with anything you want to talk about I got nothing, and I didn't even read the trivia, so I'm... Well, here is some trivia to blow your mind. Actually, I've used most of the best already. Daryl Hannah had grown up swimming, quote, mermaid style, with her legs bound together because she loved The Little Mermaid so much. And I think because of that, she was so fast at swimming in this movie that her safety team could not keep pace with her, which I think is kind of funny, that she's just like, I'm a real fucking mermaid, keep up with me, and you can't, sorry. But also, I mean, if you're propelling yourself with a 30-pound tail, like, you're gonna move a little faster, I think, than uh, some guys with some flippers. 
Absolutely. Ron Howard turned down, we were just talking about him, turned down Mr. Mom and Footloose to direct this movie. So he was offered, I guess, both of those. Daryl Hannah was extremely shy about her body and wore both band-aids and makeup over her nipples to conceal them. I feel like there's only, I mean, there's, you know, she's quote-unquote topless for a lot of the movie whenever she's in her mermaid form. But I feel like there's only one shot maybe at the end where you kind of sort of see her chest and... And it's kind of side boob. It's like a profile of her boob yeah i think there might be like one or two earlier in the movie but yeah she has that beautiful beautiful mermaid hair to cover it that crimped crimped beautiful hair so tom hanks always joked that he was the 11th choice to play the main role because it was turned down by chevy chase bill murray dudley moore john travolta and michael keaton also considered were jeff bridges richard Gere, kevin klein david morse burt reynolds robin williams john hurd christopher reeve and robert klein so really it's like everybody you know what i mean it's Imagine Chevy Chase in this movie. If I thought Tom Hanks was a whiny little bitch, oh God. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded Johnny Dangerously in this, though, to be honest. Michael Keaton, yeah, he would have been good. Uh, Steve Gutenberg auditioned but did not get the part, but then Ron Howard put him in Cocoon the next year. Tim Allen and John Goodman were both considered for the John Candy role. David Morse was also considered, I don't know if I said him before, but he would go on to act later with Hanks in The Green Mile, which we'll get to in a while. Uh, Bill Murray and PJ Souls were considered for the roles of Allen and Madison, the Hanks and Daryl Hannah parts, but Bill Murray turned it down. People who auditioned or were considered for the uh, Madison role were Jodie Foster, Rosanna Arquette, Brooke Shields, Hmm. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, which I would love to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus as a mermaid. Can you come on, please? Can we do that? Even now. <laughs> yeah, I take it. Absolutely. Oh, no, totally. But, like, I don't know what she was doing in 1984. I mean, she was on SNL, right, for, like, one, a couple seasons. But, like, I don't, you know. I think she was only on for one season. Okay. Melanie Griffith, Jeannie Francis, Lynn Frederick, Fiona Fullerton, Diane Lane, Tatum O'Neill, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sharon Stone and Kathleen Turner, Deborah Winger, Lisa Welkel, Welchel from The Facts of Life was considered, Tanya Roberts, Ali Sheedy. Um, so really, again, it's just like, you know, who knows if all these are, if, it might just be an interview like, oh, I auditioned for that or whatever. But like, there's a lot of people to like go through, like names, you know what I mean, to eventually land on who they landed on. Daryl Hannah was a vegetarian and refused to eat lobster. So they filled it with uh, like this tofu paste. And apparently she sobbed every time they cut because she was, she felt so bad for the lobsters, which is sad. They couldn't have just, like, let her eat a sea cucumber or something? I don't know, Wait, man. I think a sea cucumber is an animal. But that's not as funny. People can't yeah. instantly recognize a sea cucumber. I mean, that's, I'm just saying, that's the, what the executive's saying, you know what I mean? Like, that's right. the yeah. type of movie this is. Like, we need to really hit him over the head with the hammer. Because, like, the entire restaurant turns to look at her, but really all you need is, like, one table, like, the table next to her to, like, look and be like, what is she doing? You know what I mean? Like, you don't need the whole restaurant to turn. I don't know. I had a question. Is this one of the first movies where someone something happens and someone will turn to someone else and go, how about them Knicks? Because uh, at a moment in this movie, like, Daryl Hannah, I think maybe, it, I don't think it's when she bites into the, I think, it, oh, okay, so it's when she says her real name and it's in, you know, like, mermaid talk and it blows yeah. out all of the TVs in the electronics section of the store. And I think Hanks just turns to the guy and he goes, how about them Knicks? Um, and, like, I just swear, like, this might be where that started. I don't know. Because I've heard that so much in my life, like, as a as just sort of like a, well, how about that? Like, how about them Knicks? I think that might just be like a New York sports thing when you don't have anything else to say. You'd be like, well, how about the Yankees or whatever? But, Mike, I got a question for you. Do you like the Knicks? Uh, yeah. Well, I got her number. How do you like them Knicks? 
Okay, not quite as good as the Mapples, but... Not quite as good, but that's all the trivia I got. So, Carol, we play a game here on the Tom Tom Club. It's called The Other Tom. So imagine for a second, instead of Tom Hanks in this lead role, we cast Tom Cruise as the role of Alan in Splash. What would this movie be like? How would it be different if Tom Cruise were in this movie? And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of time to think about that. Mike, do you have any ideas what this movie would be like if Tom Cruise were in the role of Alan? Yeah, this is a, this was a tough one. I don't think it would he would be such like a sad sack of a character. I don't think he would be... I don't think, you know, to be quite honest, I think this movie might actually be funnier if uh, Tom Cruise was trying really? to deal with... I, I kind of do. Because I think he would be out of his element to begin with, with like trying to run that produce... Uh, like shipping business that he does with his brother like you know I think like John Candy would come across more competent and he would kind of be more slapsticky yeah it's weird I didn't really put a lot of thought into it but now that I do for some reason I think he might be a little goofier in the role but I was gonna say that I think that this like this was a really good role for Tom Hanks I think you know the character is kind of shitty and terrible but I think he I think this is sort of right in his wheelhouse yeah, no, I'm not saying like Hanks is bad here, you know, nothing like that. Like, but I think you know it would be more unbalanced if anything. If Cruz was here, it would he would be like a he would be manic the whole time, mm-hmm. and he would be very hyper the whole time, and you'd never really get like a calm moment from him. I feel, and uh, it would just be like a very like a much more aggressive. Uh, and this he gets and Hanks does get aggressive in this role like he yells at Madison at the at the uh, you know when he explains to her what sarcasm is like everyone loves when they get explained what sarcasm is for the first time so I don't know I just feel like that's how uh, Cruz might play it you know I wonder I'm, I was trying to think I spent the whole movie trying to think of how what Tom Cruise would be like in this role and I really don't have a good answer oh, oh I'm not saying I had a good answer either <laughs> I just tried to cobble one together no I know you know what I would kind of like is if Tom Cruise was the John Candy role. Like, I think he would kind of play like a, you know, the handsome, gregarious, sort of intense at times brother, right? Like, Yeah. I mean, it would be a very different character just sure. because he is, like, physically very different. But I think that's a more natural fit for him than Tom Hanks' role. Because I, I think that's my problem with this, Mike. I think that, like, I just, you know, I don't love the character, but I think that Hanks, in my mind, is so sort of, sort of, sort of, sort of so good for that. I don't know if I could swap it up, but I would love to see. I did think, especially when, you know, they're in the office together, like when they're actually, like, playing off each other and they're the only two in the room. I think, like, I would love to see, like, a Hanks and Cruz thing there. Um, so it's sort of like a cop out there. That's not really a great answer. No, I think I did that. I did that in a previous episode where I was like, I think it was in Bosom Buddies, where I was like, oh, I think Cruz would be better as the Scalari character. Oh, no. No, you guys. He would be Eugene Levy. Oh. Oh. All right. Like, super intense, driven, has this mission that he is on, and no one is going to stop him. Except instead of glasses, they'd be sunglasses. Hey believes wholeheartedly with his gut of this fantastical, mythical creature. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't exist, or it does, I guess, in this movie. Joey, proposition real quick about this, you know, other cruise game. Well, other Tom game, not other cruise. There's only one cruise. There's only one cruise, Michael. Apologies, apologies. Uh, I did it again. Uh, about this <laughs> other Tom game, what if we, you know, where would he fit in this movie, as opposed to what would it be like if he was in the same role? Maybe we can toy with that. I'm okay with either. I think we could do either one. Just like the Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. 
Bloomin' onion. So, Kara, is that is that your answer? You would fit him in the Eugene Levy role because that's totally fine if that's yes, definitely what you want to go with. Cool. Okay, so now next question, last game, Stan Lee yourself, Carrie, you might have played this with us, with us before. Yes. If you want a walk-on role into the movie Splash, I I'm imagining just based on our conversation, I don't want to put words or ideas in your mouth or head respectively, but I feel like you'd probably be a mermaid at somewhere, right? Like you you gotta. Oh, I didn't even consider that. No, actually, I know. Like I saw it happen. When oh, I was like, oh, I'm that guy. Okay. During the racquetball scene, yeah. there's like these big steps behind them, and some people are on the steps, like watching them play racquetball. And there's one guy there who's just fully reclined, just <laughs> laying down, and has his like one of his legs up on the step just above him. And I was like, oh, that's me. I love it. And I would say that that's like the most half-assed sort of uh, approach that scene. But John Candy's playing racquetball with a cigarette in his mouth. So I don't know if anything <laughs> is more sort of contradictory than that. And all, uh, one other thing I, I forgot to say from the trivia was that Tom Hanks was a smoker at this time, or maybe still is, or was, or I don't know, but had problems with the swimming scenes because he did not have the lung capacity to actually, you know, do what he needed to do. I've got a, a DVD trivia bit about that sequence, the racquetball sequence. Oh, go um, for it. So apparently Jack Nicholson had kept John Candy out the night before, like all night, and like got him wasted and everything. And so that hangover is, is real. Like there's no acting Love going it. on in that sequence whatsoever. And That's again, awesome. when, when he hits himself in the head with the ball, that was supposed to be two shots. They were just going to cut, you know, because they never thought that he would get it. And it was like, boom, they got it right on the first take. So That's awesome. He was the professional enough, even that home over to know to take that fall and like have the instinct to uh, make it work so rest in peace john candy mike what would you do how would you stand lee yourself into this movie being someone on the racquetball steps is perfect i love that but i saw an opportunity here and i gotta grab it because just one of the funniest things to me for some reason in films in general um are fictional presidents and, and <laughs> oh hold on we have to talk about why did that happen I have no idea. I don't know. They got they got invited to that dinner, maybe because they had that new account and that was so prestigious, but I don't know. But they had tickets to that dinner. I mean, maybe it's just so that they're like in a location where there's already a large number of like government agents. Oh, yeah. That's why the movie has them there. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure yeah. out why like they got tickets to see the president. Oh, it's probably I think it's a fundraiser dinner and rich people go to those things all the time. But is Hanks a rich person? I think so. I mean, like they own this big produce company. Yeah. Freddie drives like a Ferrari. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely rich. But I don't think it's a big produce company because when John Candy gets them the buy right account, the entire buy right account, mm-hmm. Hank's like freaks out. He's like, don't, you gotta be, like, I, we, we can't do that. Well, maybe that's it. They're on the next level now. So, like, they're being invited to these presidential functions. Because this character, you know, Tom Hanks has been loveless his entire life and then finally finds the woman of his dreams, even though she doesn't, he doesn't know she's a mermaid yet. And is like, let's get married, but first, let's go hang out with the president for a couple hours at this very expensive gala dinner. It's like, whoa, what? Yeah. But also, that room does not have very good security if Eugene Levy can get in, too, or maybe he can just get in anywhere, but... Oh, but they got him. They grab him, and, and they... Well, yeah, but he, him. like, after he basically pulls a gun, you know what I mean? Like, the equivalent, like... But okay, Mike, so I'm sorry to interrupt, but you, you love fake presidents and things. I love fake presidents, too. So, are you the president, or are you in the entourage? I am the president in this movie. I mean, oh wow, okay. You know, age me up a little. Give you know. Well, not that much. Let's be honest. No, I no. You know, like <laughs> two or three months. Yes, perfect. I love that joke. But yeah, you know, I want to be a fictional president in a movie, and what better movie than Splash? So yeah. 
Because, I mean, when you think presidents in movies, you think Splash, so... Well, I mean, it's just so obscure. Like, when you go down that list in Wikipedia of fictional presidents that this is going to be on the list. <laughs> yeah? I don't really pay attention, but did you, did you recognize that actor or no? No, no, I wasn't really paying attention. Because <laughs> what I've noticed, and maybe this is just a, not too often of an occurrence, but I feel like when people play a president once, they play a president, like, more than once. Like, they just sort of have that, like, stereotypical, prototypical, like old white like 60 year old white dude who like can crack a, a not great joke or whatever but let me see here like how olivia coleman only plays queens now well yes i sorry I, I got distracted because i was looking at imdb and there is a character named sergeant lelandowski l-e-l-e-a-n-d-o-w-s-k-i so it's basically my last name played by lee delano i don't know who that is one thing I love is that um, Sadler, a.k.a. Death himself, is the president in the MCU. Oh, really? I don't know if he's still president, but in Iron Man 3, he's the president of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Nice. Okay, so my this is actually kind of cool. Actually, this, this applies to both of you, because I know that you both watched this documentary uh, last month. Charles McCauley, like McCauley, like spelled like Macaulay Culkin, played the president, just the president in Splash, most known for that. Uh, died in 1999 at the age of 71. Also from Star Trek, the TV show. Some movie called The Big Red One, but also in Blackula, which I know that you both watched. We all watched a Horror Noir in February. Uh, he played Dracula in Blackula. Oh, cool. So if you just search president, he only played president uh, in one thing. He was in a bunch of uh, Perry Mason TV movies as like a judge and a DA and stuff. So he's definitely got that like, I've been at this career a long time sort of look about him, I guess. But yeah, shout out to Charles McCauley. So cool. So Mike, you're the president. How would I stand Lee myself into this movie? I mean, I would love to be a mermaid, I think. Probably, right? Are they called mermaids or merman? Mermen. So uh, you would be a merman or uh, merfolk is the gender neutral term in aquaman it's weird there are no mer people folk like this but there are the fishmen and they have they they have like humanoid tops but they still have fish features so it's very confusing shape of water guy <laughs> but with the fin yeah so so yeah shape of water guy but also imagine him with the mer fin and every it's very weird i don't know why we don't just get whatever I still love that movie. Um, do I want to be a merfolk? Yeah, sure, why not? Like, we don't see any others. We only see Daryl Hannah, but, like, I want to be like her. Oh, here's what... Okay, so remember when we did Cinemakers, Amy Heckerling? I mean, how could you forget? It was great. But when we saw Look Who's Talking, and at the very end, there's the birth of the baby, and it's Joan Rivers, and now she's Look Who's Talking now. Or Look Who's Talking 2, I'm sorry. But then she's not in Look Who's Talking 2. It's Roseanne. T-O-O. T-O-O like, again. Like Splash 2. Wow, there we go. <laughs> I want to be Daryl Hannah's brother who's a merman, and she brings Tom Hanks back, and I go, who's this guy? And then that's the sequel. And it stars me, but it's, you know, like, I just, I want that. That's what I want. And then the sequel is Bosom Buddies Under the Sea. Yeah, it's me trying to get along with my uh, sister's new man, who I, at first, don't like, but find out that he can juggle. And, like, juggling seashells underwater? Absolutely. That is absolutely what I want to do. So that's pretty cool. I think all good options. We have an email address here on the show, hanks at cageclub.me. Email in, let us know what you think of the show. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be very kind of you or wherever you listen to your podcast. Five stars, please. Say whatever you want. Uh, how would you Stanley yourself into this podcast? Let us know on the review. <laughs> We've also got a Patreon account, patreon.com slash cageclub. If you want to control what Mike and I watch, uh, we can you can do that on there. You can ship in a couple bucks and you know either pick an entire podcast for us to do or 
just a specific movie or TV show. So go check that out. You can also get some sweet merch. Uh, all that stuff over at patreon.com slash cage club. So now, Kara, we have one more question before we get to the awards and then we are free and clear. Does Tom Hanks in this movie do anything that sets him on the road to becoming America's dad? Does he possess any kind of fatherly qualities in this movie that over time he will become America's dad? Uh, does he do anything in this movie that you think sets him on that path to righteousness? I don't know. This is like the third or fourth different way that we've asked this question. And like, like I don't know. It's it's tough. I don't know if he does either. Yeah, I, dis- I disagreed with you guys last time um, for the Family Ties episode. I said he wasn't quite there yet. I want to say, I, I, I don't think so. He's, I don't think so yet. But the moment he, I almost said yes was when uh because it's so weak because he's like i don't care if she's a mermaid let's go rescue her i was like well you know i know they're gonna go rescue her but at least be like you know be a little more tactful than that but it really felt like that it really felt like okay like i guess we gotta go rescue her now and i wish it was a little more like gung-ho you know let's do this kind of thing so right almost but not for me maybe uh, the bathroom, like the bathtub sequence when he's like knocking on the door, you know, and like a concerned dad would be like, young lady, you better open this door. That does feel like kind of like an after school special where he like opens the door and sees his daughter like, you know, maybe like about to cut herself or something like he, he knows that his dad's his dad's senses are tingling and he knows something's amiss in the bathroom. I mean, you got dark with that, but sure. I did get dark, but I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's just where my mind went. Or maybe she, maybe in a later sense, she's just smoking cigarettes in the bathroom. Yeah, I was just thinking about doing drugs. Smoking in the boys' room, just like David Lee Roth sang about. So I'm going to say no. I guess we say no, or it's it's more no than yes, I think, right? I think so. Because he's kind of a, a whiny little boy in this. That's a bummer. Okay. <laughs> so the last thing that we have to talk about, the awards here on Hanks for the Memories. Best film, worst film, I think it's somewhere, I mean, it's the best, I think it's the best film we've had so far, Mike, but still, in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, but it's not going to be, it won't make top, I don't, this is not top five Hanks or anything no, like that. No, no, not I either. mean, just, it's better than, you know, Rona Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters, for sure, but, you know. You know, I, I have this right now on, on the letterbox, I'm keeping track of all the Tom Hanks movies and Tom Cruise and all, all the actors that we do, like, ranking them. And right now I have this at number one, but, like, it's really not that far ahead of He Knows You're Alone. Like, it's it's above it, but it's not wildly off, just because, like, I don't love this movie like I thought I might. Yeah, and I didn't really, you know, have, I didn't have the nostalgia for, like I thought I would uh, for this movie either, which was strange, because I remember this being so much fun when I was just a little kid, and then coming back to it now, it's just, you know, I was like, where is all that? Well, you're woke now, Mike. <laughs> I guess so. Best of the worst, most fun, bad film. Don't think this qualifies for that, unfortunately. Best or worst Hank's role? think it's again somewhere sort of in the middle ish yeah like hanks's character himself this whole movie's sort of in a purgatory yeah <laughs> i mean if you if you want to buy into that absolutely uh most wasted performance i'm gonna say no because i think he does it i think the performance is good it's just you know the movie uh doesn't really do much for him i guess that's a you know that's a yeah i was thinking if it was something like you know, it, let's say the let's say the category could also be like most wasted role or something. Like he really tried to make the most of this. Like I feel like you know, with the stuff like the juggling and you know throwing himself around and all the physical stuff he does, it, it seems more like a save. You know, one thing I really would would love to abandon, and I don't know if we, I don't know when we will in Tom Hanks's career, but I feel like he's sort of being in a way typecast into the like mopey guy who like can also be funny. You know what I mean? Like he's 
got like the weight of the world on his shoulders. Underdog-ish, kind of. Yeah. Because that's not, that's not a fun type of character to play. I mean, it's, and it's not the most exciting character to follow as like a main character either all the time. And it, well, I mean, especially in a comedy. Like, I'm cool with that if I know it's like a, a drama off the bat. But if you're throwing a mermaid in there, like, I need some guy with a, a little more pep in his step, a little more something to his personality. If you're throwing a mermaid in there, I'm going to need somebody to, like, rip somebody's limbs off and eat them. Come on. <laughs> and watch the lore. Uh, that also reminds me just the way that you both said that is that it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite Mr. Show episode names. If you're going to write a comedy scene, there's going to be some rat feces in there. <laughs> uh, best ensemble, no best fight. Maybe underwater versus government. Frogmen versus mermaid. That's a cool sentence. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, frogmen versus mermaids. I'm going to put in parentheses government so I don't forget oh, what that means. So, listen, so quick Quick question here. I know we're at the end and we're in the middle of awards and stuff, but I feel like we're done talking about the movie and there's something we forgot to address. Oh, okay. Tom Hanks' character naturally breathes underwater or got it from a magical kiss and will he grow a fin? What is up? You gotta watch that sequel to find out. Well, so I, I wrote down in my notes, I wrote down in my notes, is Tom Hanks a mermaid? And I still don't know. I don't think he is. I don't think so. I think it's like because he's hanging out with a mermaid by extension he can also breathe underwater i feel like she's kind of the living embodiment of one of those air bubbles in sonic the hedgehog (laughs) when you go underwater and like it it just follows you around yeah i also feel like they just barrel rolled out of a moving car with that into the ending yeah just like well we're done now does the re is the remake about like maybe a relative uh like a mermaid comes and finds a long lost mermaid that was abandoned like on shore or adopted and raised as a human and like it's you know that way we could sort of move away from like this overt sexuality kind of stuff and it's more about like familial relation kind of thing and it's like no we need to bring you back to the sea and then oh you've never been in water you're afraid to swim and he steps foot in water for the first time and grows that tail or something wouldn't have showered or ever taken a bath or washed his hands or been outside in the rain. It's not exactly that, but there is a Disney Channel original movie called The 13th Year where a boy, uh, when he becomes 13, realizes that he's a merman or a mermaid or whatever they call it. So there are those kind of movies. Oh, I read about that. And it's like this whole like allegory for puberty. Yeah, because every monster movie is an allegory for either like racism or puberty, it feels like. so. <laughs> it's true. Best dance scene, don't think so. Best wardrobe, like if he had a tail, absolutely. <laughs> but otherwise, no. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not the John Candy cast because his wardrobe in this is insane when he first steps onto screen. He's got like that giant scarf and the big open shirt and it just, I don't know, it seems like some kind of leisure suit or something. It's a total like swinger gear thing going on. Best line. So I wrote down a couple lines. Let me, let me open up my document because I forgot that I wanted to. I love the way he says um, when Fat Jack jumps overboard, he has a great line reading. Well, Fat Jack says, I can fix it. I'm mechanical. And he just pulls out a hammer and just starts whacking the engine. And then Fat Jack says, I'll be back with a little boat. And he's like, little boat? That's it. When he says little boat, the way he said little boat, I thought was pretty funny. Where are you going, Mr. Fat Jack? Back to the dock. It's only a few miles. I can swim it. I'll be back with the little boat. 
The little boat! Because they're already in a very small boat. She left me. She moved out. My life's in shambles. Okay, that's the news. You want the weather? Anyone, anywhere but the first three rows is for best freak out. But was there a line that I wanted to? Oh, there was one. Bocce balls? Well, no, I, this, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Hank's line. The bocce balls is a great line. But which of these lines do you like better? All my life I've been waiting for someone when I find her she's a fish or when he's naked in the tub. I am not a fish. How many times am I going to have to tell you people that? The second one. Yeah, I think I like that one too. Yeah, I'll go with the second. So, Mike, we have last episode or last movie, I am Pardu and I am a holy man. Uh, so we just have I am, I am. So there we go. Trend setting. It's like the juggling. Best freak out. We have that best soundtrack theme. Worst love story. Best love story. You want to do worst love story? Yeah, I think that's... That's appropriate. I'm also thinking now, Joey, if I if we ever come across Hanks on the street, do I address him as Pardu and then give him three apples to juggle? Or <laughs> do I just kind of give him a wave and, and quietly walk on by? Oh, man. I don't I don't know. I, I don't know. I saw that he posted a lost glove again this week. So if you're following his uh, Twitter and you lost a glove. Saw that. Mm-hmm. Most badass role, no. Do we want to nominate uh, best male or female not in Hanks role? Do we want to nominate Daryl Hannah or is she just... For now, I think that's some pretty impressive swimming, you know, to, to know that that was 100% her wearing that fin. Like, I really got to give her a lot of, you know, a lot of credit for putting up with all that and being able to do that. She's kind of, you know, the star here, you know, really, for all that. Even though she doesn't speak until 42 minutes into the film, but sure. She does learn to speak, though, like awfully quick. Like, you know, those like a couple TV shows, like four or five hours yeah. watching television. And she knows like all of the English language, except for sarcasm. She didn't pick up on sarcasm. That's really later. advanced, advanced English. I love in the lore, they ask the two mermaids how they learned to speak Polish because the movie is in Polish. And they say they learned it on a beach in Bulgaria. Mm hmm. So what's the verdict? I, I don't know if I caught it. Do we want to nominate her for best or no? I mean, I would, I, I think. Okay. And that's all the categories. Is there anything else about this movie, good or bad, that we want to nominate, that we want to remember for all time in the uh, the awards of Splash? I'm good. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, the last thing we're going to do on the show, Kara, is we're going to plug a podcast. And since you have your own podcast here in the network, or really a podcast and a half, why don't you tell the listeners about Wistful Thinking? Yeah. So Wistful Thinking is uh, me and Jordan Pullen-Clark. We revisit beloved movies from our youth and see if they are still as good all grown up. Uh, the answer is usually not really, but we have a lot of fun and discover some things along the way. And I, Mike and I have both been on some episodes, um, some early ones, some late ones. I was a standing Olympic correspondent, which is still some of the, the more fun uh, podcasts that I've recorded, so check those out. Um, but every Thursday, either Wistful Thinking or What Am I Chewing? What Am I Chewing? Where we chew things and guess what they are. And then in the process, also talk about other things. It's a fun way to break uh, literally every rule of podcasting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode. So now, Mike, next episode, the next Hanks movie we're doing is Bachelor Party. Is that a movie that you've seen? I'm assuming you have. Oh, yeah. Many, many a times. Within the last year. I watched it recently. Really? Okay. Before we uh, decided that we were going to do Hanks, as well as Cruise, I watched a couple Hanks movies last year, and this was one almost about a year ago. So, okay, so actually, let's let's quickly reflect back on what we guessed for this. Oh, I just guessed, because you had seen this before. I thought it was going to be, like, I knew he was a mermaid, or she was a mermaid. I thought it was going to be like a serenity situation. Could not be farther from a serenity situation. So I'm going I'm to admit that I was wrong, incorrect there. So for Bachelor Party, I'm going to just say, what, what movie did we watch? Oh, okay. 
Here's what it is. You know when he knows you're alone where there's the guy killing brides to be? And we're like, there was the bachelor part that we're like, oh, I can't believe that Hanks is not the bachelor. Mm -hmm. This is the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern of that movie where they are having the bachelor party as there's a murderer, ooh, on the loose. Um, So that's one I'm hoping to see in two weeks uh, here on Hanks for the Memories. Nice. Well, Kara, thank you so much for being here. I hope that you tune into the next episode if you've not seen Bachelor Party to hear if uh, I'm right or not. But thank you so much for joining us. You'll be back for, um, I think, more Hanks and a couple more, maybe Cruise too. So more Tom Toms in your future. So again, thank you. Well, thanks for having me. For all things Hanks for the Memories on Cruise Club and Wistful Thinking and all 25 shows in the podcast network, you can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Email us, hanks at cageclub.me. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cageclub. And just, you know, say hi, let us know you're listening. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get fine podcasts such as this one. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manson. And that was Cara Gale Regan of the Wistful Thinking and What Am I Chewing podcast. And we'll see you next time in two weeks for Bachelor Party, right here on Hanks for the Memories. Hey! 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 that now will you just let me out of here please huh people